If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through 17. That's where we're going to be putting our attention into the scriptures this morning. That's Luke, Luke 13, verses 10 through 17. And our passage today continues this story, continues these this series of addresses uh, that Jesus has towards uh, different people. First, it begins with his disciples, and then it moves from the crowd to the crowd. And now the kind of scene changes, if you've been kind of walking with us in Luke, to this moment in the temple, into the synagogue. And so this morning, our passage today tells the story of this weary woman who's disabled, who's been disabled by the Spirit. And Jesus is healing power at the temple. Here we discover the difference Jesus makes to the humble, along with the sad reality that some people are more concerned with other things than helping others. But still, God's kingdom prevails, and the promise that we are given in the scriptures is that God's kingdom will prevail because God's kingdom is led by King Jesus. Throughout page after page of the scriptures, declare this promise of this God who has an everlasting kingdom. And Jesus will triumph over every form of oppression. In this passage this morning, it also highlights something kind of interesting for us, which is it highlights legalism by comparing it side by side to the gospel. So I've titled this message, The King and the Kingdom, because Jesus reveals the kingdom of God to the humble and the hopeful, while equipping his kingdom residents with joy and power to see with clarity, to see what's happening around them, to take notice and to move towards joy to be, and to move towards Jesus in the process. So let's pray before we begin. Father, thank you. Thank you for King Jesus. Thank you for his work on the cross. Thank you for what he has come, what he came to do, and what he is currently and continuing to do in us and through us, his church. We pray, God, that you would open our eyes to see Open our ears to hear so that we may speak your truth and sing your praises. We love you. In Christ's precious name, amen. Now, earlier in Luke chapter 4, Jesus is just beginning his ministry. He's just getting things started. He's going, he's walking down, and then he goes and he says, in chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, in front of this large crowd of people, he says, the Spirit is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To set, the free, to set free the oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And from the beginning of Jesus' ministry, right from the beginning, we see the first time in a long time where the poor and the powerless were now seen and prioritized. Jesus is setting the declaration for what his ministry will do. And then we have a series, as if you were walking with us, we have a series 
of moments and events where Jesus is out to do that very thing. To answer through action every statement that he just said. To the poor. To preach good news. To proclaim. To release captives. To give sight uh, uh, back to the blind. To give sight to the blind. To set the oppressed free. And he does this. And as we see that, as we read that in Jesus' ministry, the kingdom begins to be revealed. The kingdom of God begins to be revealed. Not to the proud and the strong, but to the humble and the hopeful. John Stott, he says, at every stage of our Christian development and in every sphere of our Christian discipleship, pride is the greatest enemy and humility is our greatest friend. So let me draw your attention to verses 10 through 13, where we see the kingdom revealed to the most humbled and overlooked person in the synagogue. This is verse 10 through 13. It says, as he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, a woman there who was disabled by a spirit for over, a woman there who was disabled by a spirit for over 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called out to her, Woman, you are free of your disability. Then he laid his hands on her, and instantly she was restored and began to glorify God. No one knows what's going on under the surface unless you're looking. No one knows what's going on under the surface unless you're looking. For all intents and purposes, this woman just had bad back posture. This woman was unable to look at people upright. Little did anyone know that this was not the result of bad posture. It was actually the result of years long of an of the, uh, of an oppressive spirit that was causing her to look this way. And this is what I really love about Luke's gospel, is that this is the kind of rawness I'm talking about, where there's someone in, in need, obvious need, and no one notices. And there's something happening even under the surface that's not just a physical thing, but there's a spiritual oppression on someone, and they walk into the room, into the most spiritual place in the entire community, and no one knows. That's real. That's, that is a spiritual oppression. To oppress someone from being able to speak, from being able to be seen. Her disability forced her, forced her to look down while everyone else looked up. It's a physical image of humility. But it's also an image of hope. Though she is literally humbled to not even be able to look up, she also is hopeful in that she's going in to pray. She's going in to pray despite her limitations, despite her years of, of oppression, 
she prayed. She didn't give up her hope that God would free her from her pain, from her sorrow, but she knew that if God saw her, that was enough. And it's that posture of humility that Jesus is moved by. Jesus is stirred to come towards the downcast and the burdened to bring relief. As he describes his very own heart as gentle and lowly. Lowly meaning as humble. And he says later in Matthew 5, 5, blessed are the humble for they will inherit the earth. King Jesus reveals the kingdom to the humble and the hopeful because Jesus is himself humble. There will come a day when King Jesus comes on his, on his horse with his sword to judge the living and the dead and to destroy the works of Satan forever. But until then, until that amazing, glorious day, Jesus sympathizes with us. That's amazing. Jesus prays for us on our behalf. And if there's any clearer picture of the gospel, of our need, and what Jesus is doing with those who are in need, who are poor, who are powerless, this is it. This is a beautiful picture of that. This is a picture of the gospel at work in real people. And it's another image that shows us that Jesus knows his sheep. There's a personal, there's an, a personal address to this, to this woman. He knows who she is. He knows what has been happening to her. John 10, verses 7 through 10. He says, truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it in abundance. So what does this speak to us? It says to us that Jesus sees us as we are. So that there's no, there's no facade that we need to carry when the church comes together to worship Jesus. There's no facade you need to take in your personal faith to Christ. Jesus sees us. And his purpose is clear, to lift up the humble. To lift up the humble. And what does that do to us in that moment? If Jesus is lifting us up, if he is taking away our burdens, our deepest burdens, our deepest insecurities, that should then inspire us to go be like him, to go be the hands and feet of Jesus in a world that so desperately needs it. So how can we be more like Jesus? I was inspired by just reading this interaction by him. And I thought, how can we do likewise? 
There's a couple of ways. First is be observant. Be observant. Don't spend your time looking down, but look up. There's this famous, um, there's this kind of graffiti artist named Banksy, and he has this um, very thought-provoking painting that he made, which is this couple um, embracing like one another in this hug. And they're holding it, it kind of makes the form of this heart. And as they're like embracing one another, both of them are looking at their phones on the other end of their shoulder. And there's this glow that's kind of coming off of that. And it's to highlight how easy it is to be distracted, how easy it is to be consumed by our own personal things. Be observant. Look, look around. Be present. Notice people instead of checking out. Ask good questions. Ask good questions. Honestly, not bad ones. You can, we can do that, right? Intentional good questions will help us see and help us take notice of what Jesus sees, what Jesus, through the Spirit, is prompting us to do. But for the downcast, if you yourself are coming in downcast, coming in weary, humble, the Spirit brings us comfort and companionship to those who need it. But I think that the instruction is clear that you won't know what's under the surface unless you're looking for it. But the harsh reality is this, friends. It's that it's easier not to. It is much easier not to. Many people will not see the kingdom at work And many people will, in fact, take it a step further, which is to reject it. It, They will reject it. This woman gets restored and is upright again. She's actually looking at people. That's the first thing she does, right? The first thing she does is she looks at people. People see her from face to face. And then she continues to look up further and begins praising God, giving him glory. But this healing, it took place on the Sabbath. So naturally, those opposed to God moving and healing on the, on the Sabbath are the legalistic leaders. So let me draw your attention to verses 14 through 16, where we see the kingdom rejected. It says, but the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, responded by telling the crowd, There are six days when work should be done. Therefore, come on those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him, hypocrites, doesn't each one of you untie his ox or donkey from the feeding trough on the Sabbath and lead it to water? Satan has bound this woman, a daughter of Abraham, for 18 years. Shouldn't she be untied from this bondage on the Sabbath day? And so the real issue is not about the Sabbath, but what lies behind it. Also, I just wanted you guys to notice in verse 14, 
What does the leader say? The leader is responding by telling the crowd, not by telling Jesus. That is like the most passive-aggressive thing that you could do, right? That is, that is passive aggression. The real issue lies behind that. As a disciple of Jesus, our compassion should be running all the time. As Jesus' compassion runs all the time. But bound rules in legalistic thinking smother compassion. If you want to know what smothers love, is legalism. And Jesus is calling them out on this. This is, uh, it, this is kind of, it's similar to this report that had happened in May in 1998. It was this big deal where it was this teenager named Christopher Searcy. He was playing basketball with a few of his friends on a basketball court, and then three teenage gang members were just looking for a target and came and they just shot him. And his friends frantically picked him up and carried him to the nearby hospital. But as they were carrying him, they knew that, they, that uh, uh, an ambulance needed to come, someone needed to come and, and help him on the way. So he landed, they set him down 30 feet from the hospital. And 30 feet, they ran inside for help. And the emergency room personnel refused to go outside and assist the dying boy citing that their policy only allows them to help those who are inside the hospital. So they called for the nearby police, and they called for the ambulance, but the ambulance has the same policy that they have to drive to it, to the person. And the police were on their way. While this boy, 30 feet from the hospital, is bleeding out, and his friends are running frantically back and forth. But when the officers arrived on the scene, then they proceeded to call for the, another ambulance, but refused to carry the boy inside. So while passerbys like kind of fled to the scene, they're looking, they're trying to see how they can help this boy, he lay in a bigger and bigger pool of blood, unconscious. And after several minutes, the ambulance, though 30 feet away, didn't arrive, the police gave in and carried him into the emergency room where he died. Legalistic thinking has consequences. It distorts reality. It smothers compassion. And it changes our loves. It causes more suffering than order. Legalism happens when the application of a principle is given all the force over the principle itself. Legalism happens when the application of a principle is given all the force over the principle itself. But the kingdom of God speaks over that. The kingdom of God clarifies to us what love is, what compassion is. Romans 12, 16, it tells us, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. After this report that had happened of this 
this boy who, who bled out and died, the people, members of the community came around and they took this patch and they put it on the door, on the, the pad front mat of the hospital that says, we follow the rule of love. Which was to say the whole community decided when that kind of moment would happen, that they would act, that they would act. Jesus rejects the proud and the indignant from the kingdom. Zephaniah 2, verse 3. It instructs us really well where it says, Seek the Lord, all you humble of the earth, who carry out what he commands. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. Perhaps you will be concealed on the day of the Lord's anger. So that gives us the posture to avoid legalistic thinking, which is to see that the Lord sees the humble heart and the prideful heart. But both bring very different responses. So the question is, what are you resolved to be content with? Is it God's mercy or is it God's anger? This passage, though highlighting this very legalistic, passive-aggressive moment, also has good news. Because it's not the, the poor announcement that gets highlighted. It's Jesus' glory. It's joy that gets highlighted. This is a good news passage with a good news ending. The synagogue leaders did not see they were clouded, they did not see, but everyone else did. There was an effort to muzzle the works of Jesus and his ministry, but instead the kingdom of God was revered. And we get to see this beautiful image in verse 17 when it says, when he had said these things, all his adversaries were humiliated, but the whole crowd was rejoicing over the glorious things he was doing. How were they, how, how did they do this? How did this happen? It's because Jesus carried out his ministry and showed, and King Jesus equipped the kingdom with joy and power so they too could see, so they too could be in the presence of God and see past the the attempts of these leaders. So how can we then, in the kingdom, rejoice over King Jesus in joy and in power? How might we be aware of legalistic thinking, of language that, that smothers the gospel, whether it's in any area of our life, we as disciples are called to be observant, to look, to see, to speak, and to act. So how is that? Well, it starts by the church being equipped with Jesus' joy and Jesus' power. To gather together in joy and in power through Christ 
to see that he is our example, for the Spirit to minister to us and then to work through us so that we might be able to act in deed and in words. But I think James 5, James chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, gives us such helpful instruction in this. It's so practical and so helpful. If you're ever looking for a book in the New Testament that is filled with practical application, James is one of those, one of those books. But this is what it says. Is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. Is anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick person, and the Lord will raise him up. But if he has committed sins, he will be, if he has for, committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. And pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. I want to go back to the woman who was disabled by the Spirit. This image that she had of leaning forward, being unable to look at anything else but the ground, and now being able to lift up and see and praise this posture of praise, of joy and power is this posture of confident righteousness before King Jesus. Prayer, praise, calling on Jesus in need and in submission. Confession, these are the practices that Jesus equips us with to humbly come before him and rejoice in his power and his love for us so that we would not be uh, contorted in any kind, of mission, uh, any kind of other message, so that love would prevail and, we would not, and it would not be smothered. We, friends, are joining Jesus in his mission when he said, the spirit is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. In, in, and in these, we come before King Jesus in humility. We ask him through his spirit, let my joy be in you. Let my power come from you in your mission. And let that turn into gratitude. As Jesus himself, King Jesus, made a way for us to enter into his kingdom as adopted heirs in glory in his name. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus for all that you do in us and through us. For coming to us when we were in need and lifting us up when we were bent low. 
God, I pray that you would help us, equip us with joy and with power to continue Jesus' mission here on earth until he comes back so that we might glory in his name, that we may glory in the instruction that you have given us and we can walk in obedience to you. We pray all these things in Christ's precious name. Amen. Maybe you are someone who is feeling lowly. Maybe you are someone who feels like you have answers. Maybe you're feeling unsure of who Jesus is. In all these things, Jesus comes to us with the answers that we need. He lifts us up. He relieves us of burdens. He also speaks of his power, and he shows us his testimony. But for all of us who call ourselves disciples, Jesus has this to say. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And friends, this leads us to worship through communion. The bread and the cup here represent the body and the blood of Christ. This is the gospel in tangible form through a meal. We are brought to Jesus. In the Lord's Supper, we are invited to receive the gift of grace and take refuge in Christ, our sacrifice that who covered us all. So while we have this, um, while the band plays, I invite you at your own pace to come to the table and to take the bread and take the cup and use that, that time of, of thoughtfulness, of, of meditation to, to reflect, to examine your heart as the Lord brings areas of your life to light. Maybe there's things that you are holding on to that are causing pride to fill up Maybe there's areas in your life that you are just not sure how God is going to work through it. Either way, this is a time for you to bring it to light and be ministered to by the Spirit. So use this time of waiting to come, to reflect, to confess sin, and to trust in the glory of Jesus' sacrifice. But I want to ask you, once you come and you take the elements, if you would go back to your seats, and we'll take it all together as a family. So we'll take it all, all those meals together. But also, if you don't consider yourself a Christian, if this is something you're just taking in, I just ask that you would remain seated and just use the time to reflect. Use the time to think about the message and what you've heard and what you're seeing. So whenever you feel ready, we can do that.